you know, under the banner of we can't have nice things anymore, do you recall back when we were doing the Blind Spot series, when you would post two movies instead of two, one? Two. Two instead of two one. movies in one. Do you remember what I used to put on your little listing at the bottom when I was listing the links? I do believe the word snowflake. Yes, would, uh, Bob, would slide in I there. am a rare and precious snowflake turnball. Unfortunately, that term has completely been turned on its head, and I uh, like you know I feel it's been like co-opted by it has forces. been coerced, <clears throat> it has been uh, uh, perverted, and I, for one, am pissed off. I'm still precious, though. Well, yeah, of course you are, <laughs> but I mean, you know, like that. I, I, I brought it up on the. When I was listening to the, the the back episodes of the podcast to get your answers, I brought it up there, and uh, you know now I can't use it anymore because I'm sure Ryan, if people. you really try hard, you will think of another term <laughs> that both of us will embrace. Challenge accepted. Welcome to whoever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil, Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 198 of the Matinee Cast. It's a movie loving podcast on my movie loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Friends, you are listening to something that's kind of coming together on the fly today because... So we do it. Uh, well, not really. Not usually. I, I, that's how I do it. Once upon, okay, once upon a time, I had this stuff planned <clears throat> for like weeks, nay, months. I, I would talk to guests like episodes ahead. And uh, and lately it's just kind of... I come on. Well, it's, it's been a lot more madcap lately. And I think it's just because, uh, you know, trying to get around to 200 and... Being in I a was stretch of ass. speaking of two hundred, what are your plans for two hundred? Uh, I, I, I will reveal that soon. I've got something very special planned. Uh, it took some some thinking, but I, I do have something special planned. But it's it's a lot of things. It's it's there wasn't a whole lot to talk about in April. Uh, the movies that I really did want to talk about, it was kind of hard to find people who'd seen them. Um, and I mean, it, it's it's crazy because we're sitting here. Uh, when I say madcap, we decided to like see this movie together and record about it right afterwards. And I'd seen it once before, but you hadn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of throw it all together and release it out there on a weekend where there are superheroes dominating the conversation. <laughs> so I can only see the numbers for this thing going. If you look at the stats for the shows that I've been on, skyrocket. I mean, you know, who, the who doesn't want to listen to Tony Erdman and Upstream Color? That voice you heard is the uh, owner and proprietor of the Eternal Sunshine of the Logical Mind. It is Bob Turnbull who is here, dear friend, family of the show. I was going to say yeah, family. Really and truly. I mean, I've, I've known you... <laughs> As well, more or less as long as I've been doing this. About a decade now. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. You know, time yeah, flies when you're having, yeah, time flies when you're having fun, don't it? Tick, tick. <laughs> On episode 198, we are going to be talking about The Rider. We'll flip the record over to play the other side. But first, we need to learn more about Bob. This is Know Your Enemy. Apologies in advance, because this Know Your Enemy is going to be a little bit, as I said off the top, madcap. Um, first of all, Bob's first episode appearance didn't actually have a number. It was part of Hot Dogs 2010. We were calling those Life in Technicolor. But on that episode, we learned that the first film he'd ever seen in the theater was Sleeping Beauty. The last film he'd seen at the time was Fine, Totally Fine. The worst film he'd ever seen was Shark Attack Megalodon. The unseen classic or essential was Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Rectified that. Bob has since seen, and the film he wished he made, 
to nobody's surprise, was Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and Airplane. Next, Bob returned on episode 83 for Upstream Color. We learned the film that he digs that few others do is Ocean's 12, which of course you come here and you're among friends. Um, the film that everybody else likes that he doesn't is True Romance, and there you're on your own. The last film I've, I've come around to that one slightly, oh but I'm still I'm nowhere near most people. Okay. Uh, the last film to make him cry was Dear Zachary. In the movie of his life, he'd be played by Anthony Edwards. And the film he was watching next was The Outlaw Josie Wales. Then, on episode 130, where we talked about A Most Violent Year, we learned the film that made his love of film turn a corner was Raising Arizona. The first date movie with his wife was A Kiss Before Dying. His sick day movie was Magnolia. Is Magnolia. Still is, damn Still right. is Magnolia. The last film to leave blessed films, speaking of rare and precious snowflake, to leave him speechless were At Any Price, Cafe de Flore, and Cold Fish. And his epitaph would be So Many Social Engagements, So Little Time from Raising Arizona. And then, somewhere along the way, we learned that the film that he really digs but never wants to see again is a movie called Norta End of History. The film that genuinely freaked him out, again, two answers, Juon, the uh, Japanese grudge, and Dear Zachary. The film that always makes him laugh, films that always makes him laugh, Anchorman, Airplane, and Raising Arizona. His favorite film soundtrack, again, he gave me 16 answers, but we had settled and discussed <laughs> keep tearing it down. It's Soul fun. Kitchen. Uh, the film he loves, but nobody has ever heard of, is something called Only Human. Now, ordinarily, we would do, be doing round five. However, your fearless host did not quite get his ducks in a row, so instead of talking about round five, we are going to talk about round six. And when you come back for officially round six, we will do the questions for round five. Robert. Sir. At home. Or in a theater. Especially in a theater. What is your movie snack of choice? These days, it's uh, it's Diet Coke. Um, I'm a fan of the beverage. Um, I know there are other people in North America right now who are drinking it. Let's just leave them nameless. Uh, it's, it is my beverage of choice. I try not to snack as much, trying to reduce the waistline. But for a while, my favorite snack was uh, baked Lay's cheddar and sour cream chips. Those are that noisy, dude. Well, at home. At home. Okay. Usually, I don't eat usually in the theater. But okay. at home, ah. Uh, there's something about them, and everybody says cheddar and sour cream chips. Oh, really? no, I, no, no, no. And then you this. try them, and you go, holy no, no, those, crap. those are delicious. You can't stop. No. Well, I, like, you can't just have one. Do, do you end up going through, like, a whole tube by the time the movie's over? Oh, well, these own are the baked lace, own it, these are the lace in the bag, and I would eat an entire bag. Wow. Yes. And, I mean, this uh, is a safe place. There's no judgment. Right, I'm, right. Yeah. Um, trying to go in the reverse direction. Though. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and Diet Coke specifically, not Coca-Cola? Just for the taste of it, man. No, seriously, that has, not nothing, to, by that has nothing to do with the waistline. I Many people disagree with me, but I just pref much prefer the taste of Diet Coke. I don't like that syrupy taste of Coke. Is it something about the aspartame? Yes, it's the aspartame, Ryan. I love the aspartame flavor. No, I, I, do. I just like the taste of Diet Coke. Whether it's aspartame giving it that little right. shot of flavor... Now, okay, since you're since you're on this the soft drink thing, what if you're seeing a morning on tangents morning screening? No, no, on topic morning screening. Still Diet Coke. I drink Diet Coke any time of the day. Oh, that's yeah. not good. Yeah, but people drink coffee all the time. Yeah, but so coffee is different. It is, which is why I don't drink it. But they're both caffeinated, so 
big yeah, deal. I, I, it's, I keep hearing that response of, well, you're drinking coffee first thing in the morning. Why can't I drink my, my Coke? I think it's the sugar. And I mean, like, I'm, I'm also the guy who likes his, like, frosted flakes. Um, so you during a movie, you actually, I gotta be honest, like, a bowl of cereal watching a movie at home, love it. Oh, absolutely. I, my, wife, is, my wife does that a lot. Actually. Yeah, and there yeah, is a theater absolutely. in Toronto that does Saturday morning movies with, like, a cereal buffet. Fantastic idea. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, Diet Coke, or if you're at home, the, uh, the, the, the chips. All right, cool. Um, what is a movie world that you would like to spend a day in? Well, the one I think that'd be most fun, and I'm going to give you two answers. Of course you are. And I'm going to have sub-answers within those All answers. Right. Uh, would be, you know, the worlds of, say, Animal House, or Real Genius, or the recent Everybody Wants Some. Because... You just want to go back to school. A bit of that. And it's just, you know, having fun with friends, spending a day. If there's a few beverages in there, that's fine. But just <laughs> really not thinking about anything except for spending the time with your buddies. Uh, particularly with Everybody Wants Some. And we've disagreed on this before. Mm. Because there's just such that world of discovery that they're just open to. And I, I think that's fantastic. Um, I still like to think I'm in that world to a certain extent, but to spend a day in that much younger version of me, being open to all these possibilities, um, I would relish that. See, we're going we're gonna to touch on this several times over the course of this show, but what gets me about that world, and this was our big disagreement, which happened off mic, so it's actually kind of cool that we can have it on mic, is that I, I, I enjoy that movie for, for what it is, but I walk away from that movie and I think to myself, that was very bro-ish. That was. It is a movie about a. It's because it's basically a movie. it is a, it's, a, it's basically a fraternity. It's a it's a baseball team's residence in this American university. That's what the movie's about, and it's about these young I men. I know, trying to but I feel hey, like I, I don't. And heard I heard that I story over and over, and the moment the women show up, it gets so much better. And I'm like, why didn't we get that? I don't think the series gets so much better. Although it gets a lot. The one main female characters we we discussed is fantastic. Yeah, exactly. I love her. Yes. But that's not what the movie is about. I and know. you can't look at the broader issue of Hollywood and the fact that no, there's still so many movies that don't pass the Bechdel test. It, yeah. And then blame it, you know, will this movie. You have to take it on an individual basis. If I, you want to have the argument, you got to look at the whole. And there are still major problems. My absolutely. argument is that this is the same guy who did Dazed and Confused. And, and that story was much more well-balanced. Still bro-ish. Still very dude-centric but a little bit more balanced than not relegating all the women to the third act, where I'm like, I, I gotta believe that the, you know, the theater geeks were doing something while these guys were cutting baseballs in half. And yeah, but it wasn't about the theater geeks. I don't care. Make it about the theater geeks. No, you go make it no, about the theater I, geeks. Go no. make your own damn movie, dude. But, and that, it's, it's funny, because that's actually, that is a world, power to you. Mm. Uh, but that is a world I do not want to spend any time in. I'm actually really glad I did not. The other answer is oh, actually, right. Okay, yeah, so so now we're gonna steer. All right, is is uh, the world of kind of a um, a rural Japanese village? And I'm thinking oh. of a gentle breeze in the village, a movie that not too many people have seen. Unfortunately, it's a fantastic film from the late 2000s, early 2010s. Is this modern or past? Um, either one, to be honest. Uh, gentle breeze in the village no, was, I gotta, was, was modern, but sort of a rural kind of village. Right, uh, but and I mean, I'm thinking even of uh, some of the. Um, the anime films, like Only Yesterday, where they spend so much time in just these, you know, there's the rice fields, there's the, the lovely, beautiful houses, the countryside. It's just 
almost magical. Uh, and I'm sure that if I had to live there, there's obviously a lot of other issues, but I'd like to spend a day and just soak up the absolutely gorgeous atmosphere and landscape. But I mean, that my question to that end is you want to spend a world, a day in that world in its modern capacity or in its past capacity? Because well, like, like, I feel... With fewer samurais roaming well, sure. about. Uh, so more modern, but that could still be kind of mid-1900s or, or present day. Okay. In that why and why that? Like you, you have a fascination for most things Japanese. Is that is there something there? Um, it, it's like, did partially. You there it, when no, you I haven't, I, and I, I desperately want to go. And I think that's probably part of it is that I have not. You got actually, a birthday coming up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> getting old, getting tired. Um, there is a fascination there, um, and I think part of it is to do with the way typically uh, Japanese films are made, uh, the way they focus on the sound field, and all sorts of other things that, that they have brought into the world of film. But there's also just something about the culture. There's the pros and the cons of it that I, I find fascinating. And uh, part of that is the rural countryside and the villages that I'm seeing it through my own perspective and my own biases and all that, but it seems like just a, such a wonderful place that at least kind of touch at least once in my life I'd love to go there. Much more spiritual, um, certainly much quieter. Uh, much, and, and, I'm a, much, and I'm a city guy. Much simpler. I'm, that's I'm a city that, guy, and that's I, the thing, I like, love I mean, having we're, options. You know, we're, we're, sitting here, we're sitting here surrounded by electronic gizmos and doodads and a room that's got a pool table and a large screen TV, and I'm like, how much of this do we need? With fans, it just went on very long. Yeah, I know. Too. There's that. Um, okay, well, I mean, I, I probably should have seen that answer coming, to be honest, given, given that I know you. I, I do like that answer far more than the frat houses of Animal House and everybody <laughs> wants some. Um, um, so I'm going to consider that your official answer. Not necessarily I, the whole bro frat thing. Uh, just these your answer, time man, not mine. Uh, Robert, what is your favorite good scene in a bad movie? I, 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 I had a bit more problem with this one than I thought I would, because I thought there'd be Everybody obvious does. ones that would stand out. And then suddenly I went to, okay, what about opening scenes and titles? Nothing was really kind of coming to me. So, again, I'll, I'll give you two. Oh, um, God damn it. The, the first one is just from... Uh, a recent tiff. I actually can't even remember if it was the last tiff or the one before. John Woo's last movie, Manhunt. Okay. Not good. Um, <laughs> some people saw it as kind of like, oh, no, no, it's doing it all purposely. Were there doves? Damn right there were. Oh, nice. Okay. But there's one shootout scene in a farmhouse that's just like, yeah. <laughs> just the, the additional things he'd throw in, the additional angles of people shooting guns, and it's not that it's like, oh, that's hard-boiled again. It just is like, that was a really fun set piece. The rest, the tone was all over the place. There was CGI where, why did you throw those additional speedboats in via computer graphics into the river when you didn't have to? It, it was a mess. Okay. But that farmhouse scene was fun. Farmhouse shootout, okay. Alright. I haven't uh, seen it, now I want to see the shootout. The second one, which I think is probably more relevant, is uh, Bob Fosse's first film, Sweet Charity, with uh, Shirley MacLaine. Yeah. Um, it's more actually... That's not a bad... Any, oh my god. That is any not, dance... Did you any dance lay that sequence. one down as a bad movie? Hold my on. wife will hear you. Hold on. There will be no more cookies and, for you. And I can talk to your wife about this, that every dance and musical sequence in that film is great. Uh-huh. And every non-dance and musical sequence is... I don't want to say horrible, because that, that's stretching it, but not good. It's broad. <laughs> it's not funny. They try and be weirdly funny in all these okay. spots. The story is really kind of a, a retelling of um, Nights of Kiberian, sorry. Yeah. Um, but with a lot more broad comedy. And for me, it doesn't work. But the direction, the music, the dancing, 
is fabulous. So you're actually the first person in this series of questions to bring up a musical, and that's actually a pretty good point because the thing about musicals, and I say this as a fan of the genre, uh, both on stage and on film, is it's a strange medium in the way that the story doesn't really matter. The story is really only there as a device to get from one song to the other. Stories are often absurd. Uh, they're kind of usually like filled with holes. They're just which, which very is basic. Fine, but and, and but and that's and so so to choose a musical, it makes complete sense because you're not even saying it's bad. You're just saying it's it's okay when it starts singing and dancing. It's great, but all that in between stuff, you kind of want to just jump to the it, next number. Absolutely, and, and it's. <laughs> With the, the classic musicals of the 50s and all that, the story is, you know, the story is a story, like you said. It doesn't really matter that that much. Although there's, you know, some of the chemistry between the actors. Here, it was actively bothering me, where it was kind of like, should I skip ahead to the musical scene? I didn't, but I could not wait. And then when a song would end, be like, ah, oh, damn it, we're back to people. But any, any particular dance number in the movie? Like, when you're, you're just saying... Broadly, Pretty much when everyone, broadly, yeah. Uh, just the creativity of the using the camera, uh, the, the choreography, of course. It's a Fosse film. And I have a hard um, time YouTubing that one. Well, it was okay. all fantastic. Yeah. All right. Sweet charity it is. Those footsteps you hear are Lindsay approaching. <laughs> uh, Bob, what is the most violent movie you've ever seen? Oddly enough, two answers from Japan. God damn. Um, so I won't go in depth on Cold Fish, because we've talked a bit about that before, I think, by Cien Sono. Holy cow, does that thing just revel in its blood and excess, uh, but in a really interesting and fun way. Um, the, one, the first one that came to mind was one I saw Tiff, I don't know, six, seven years ago, called uh, The World of Kanako by uh, Tetsuya Nakashima. Okay. And it's essentially a, a father who um, is trying to find his daughter who disappears. And the carnage that he wrecks, um, and the graphicness of the carnage that he wrecks, as you see somebody's hands, the fingers getting blown off by a gun, and very graphic, gory detail. It's not just the gore, it's just, it's with the fast editing pace of that movie, it was an experience. It was one of those where you're kind of sitting in your seat and leaning backwards away from the screen. Right. It was kind of breathtaking and um, tiring. And really enjoyable <laughs> at the same time, yeah. Okay. And the opening titles were just a blast. Okay, uh, red, black, and white, and suddenly pausing and we're going kill and having him shoot and break things and all in animated kind of form. It oh, was yeah. a fantastic way to introduce this world of Kanako. But was it violence in a way that really put you off the film, or like, or do you still remember it fondly? Like, would you watch it again? I, I would. Um, fondly is probably the wrong word for that. But movie. you'd watch it again. Yes, I would, because I remember sitting there for certain scenes going, whoa, wow. And not only because of the violence. The violence was in context. It was over over the top, for sure, and more than you really needed. But the point of the film was really to just kind of like, we're going to blast you into this world that essentially is partially due to the father's behavior, and now he's got to go and try and find his daughter. And it's violent, and it's quick, and it's fast, and it's disorienting, and here you go. And many people would not enjoy that, and I don't recommend this movie lightly, but uh, it's an experience. Um, last but not least, what is a movie monologue that you'd like to deliver? This one was a little bit easier. I mean, you know, I briefly thought about Monty Python because there's so many great ones there. Uh, Magnolia, you know, may, we may be through the past, but the past is not through with us. Right. But I have to settle on one of my favorite films of all time, Network. Oh, okay. The Mad as Hell speech by Peter Finch. Um, 
to this day, and we were talking about Goosebumps earlier today, you know, when you hear a certain song, to this day, when I hear him say, all I know is that first, you've got to get mad, mm. I, I get Goosebumps. And he's just leading into be, you know, you know, uh, God damn it, you know, my life has value. It's, it's an amazing moment. All the acting in this movie, I, I could have gone with Ned Beatty's speech mm. about you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. Right. There's just so many moments in this movie, and the acting is, many people call it over the top and overly melodramatic. I think it's, just, it's big, and it fits this movie so, so well. And it was one of the first times that I realized, you can do that yeah. in acting, and still everything holds together. It's, uh, you know, he's, he's doing something, so we went to see this week, we went to see the, the symphony perform uh, Leonard Bernstein's Candide, and they did oh, it with... Nice. Uh, with vocalists across the front of the stage with the symphony playing behind and a narrator filling in the gaps of what was happening in the story and the narrator was a very skilled storyteller you know like obviously i'm somebody who listens to people talk an awful lot and this was a guy who not only spoke very well but had a way of telling the story with flourish and you know like not getting over into something cheesy but something very very uh dramatic and theatrical and emphasizing and you know having your tone change yeah yeah exactly yeah. and you know like put it like giving some little wry wit here and there and that is very much what finch does in those certainly in those pulpit speeches and actually it's crazy because what i love about that pulpit speech is the way that it actually starts out very quiet and disoriented like he gets onto that set and he's in his raincoat and he's all disheveled and he seems like he's like you know, it begins, he's very, almost confused. And you find him... Yeah, yeah, are we still on? Are we still on? Yeah, you see him find his footing. And you see him, like, dig in a little deeper and dig in a little deeper. And, okay, now that I have your attention, you know, you you watch... You know, you're watching a kettle boil, basically, right? And it's amazing to see. Don't you get up now? Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing, is that you need to get the whole thing. It's not just the rant at the end. It's the whole thing, which I assume is what draws you in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and you could pick probably a number of his pulpit speeches, you yeah. know, the ones that are more crafted towards the end where yeah. he's always passing out. Yeah. Each one of those, even as he gets into the more political kind of stuff, mm -hmm. like, I, I'm, I'm braced. I, yeah. I want to, I'll follow that dude uh, anyway. Okay. Which, yeah, you know, see that maybe I'm part of the problem, I guess. Perhaps. That indicating. Well, that I guess. Well, there we go. Uh, that's more about Bob. Next time he shows up, we'll do the questions that we skipped over. Um, for now, though, we are going to move on to a movie uh, that... Um, I'm sure many of you have not seen because you're all watching Infinity Wars this weekend, let's be honest. Um, but we both, I think, really hope that you will uh, to try and seek this movie out. It's just kind of making its way around theaters, um, and it's a smaller movie, but um, it's something that's certainly worthwhile and might help uh, the cheeseburger of Avengers go down a little bit uh, a little bit better. It might be like a little tonic that you can take after all that and a moose and a moose boosh um we're going to talk about the rider right after this come on back The Rider is written and directed by Chloe Zhao. It stars Brady Jandro, Tim Jandro, Lily Jandro, and Lane Scott. And if you don't know who any of those people are, that's because they're not actors. The Rider, in a very 
documentary-like way is a pretty simple story. It's the tale of Brady Blackburn, that's Jandro, who we meet days after a nasty spill riding at a rodeo. Brady spends the crooks of the film on a path of self-discovery, unable to ride anymore. The spirit is willing, but the body will not cooperate. He is constantly spurred by his father and enchanted by his young sister as he tries to pick up the pieces of his humble little life in South Dakota. In the background, there's also his friend Lane, a paraplegic ex-rodeo rider who serves as both moral compass and cautionary tale. What, exactly, is a broken rider supposed to do when he cannot ride anymore? We are in a strange time in the history of men. For centuries, it was easy to define what it meant to be a man. You hunted, you gathered, you protected, and... Well, that was about it. Now we are trying, slowly, freakishly slowly, to raise the bar, to be less afraid, to be more vulnerable, more empathetic, and redefine masculinity. Into this rides a film full of cowboys and farmhands with something to say on the matter. So pop quiz hotshot. If this film were used as the text, what does masculinity mean? Oh, geez. How, how long is your podcast going on? As long as it has to be. I, I was just going to say, like, whoa, our men. We have it so hard. <laughs> oh, it's new time. No. We have to redefine no. who we are. Yes, we do. And no, it's not hard. I, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm joking a yeah. bit because sometimes people take that too far. It's tough to be a man. Well, no, it's not. It's tough to be a person. Yes. It can be. It's just in a different way. Defining masculinity, I... I have trouble with that because I, I'd rather define it as like what it means to be a, a person, somebody who has honor. You know, it's being a, a good father to your child, it's being a good husband to your partner, uh, it's being a good friend, it's you know uh, having focus on your work, things of that nature. What's interesting in this movie, and and I think you know why you're getting to that is that in any corridor of your life, there are thoughts by certain groups of people about what it means to be a man. Mm -hmm. that you need to behave in certain ways. You know, the whole, you know, this is what it means to be a guy, a bro, a cowboy, whatever that definition is. And for this movie in particular, I like the fact that it never really focused on any of the characters really stating that. There was a few moments kind of like, you know, you need to get back up and do this. You need to man up. You need to man up, but it wasn't the way I expected it was going to be coming into this movie because in your traditional movie with your stock characters and stereotypes, there'll be that guy that is always bugging you and rides you and then puts you down and wants to get into a fight with you to make sure that you see what kind of a man he is and he's always testing you. And that never really happens here. There, there are moments of that, but all these characters are a little bit more, um, if not complex, they're, they're just more real. And, and you could tell that by the fact that most of these people are probably playing themselves. Versions um, of themselves. Or versions of yeah. them, themselves, yeah. for the most part. So, um, I'm trying to circle back to your question. Um, if this film was used as the text, what does, what does masculinity mean? In that case, I think masculinity means finding a way to make a purpose of your life and mm -hmm. to um, help those around you, uh, your friends, your family, and make sure that you can do something with that and hopefully also survive that's a big part of it but 
what sacrifices are you willing to make for your friends and family? And I see that in the father character. I see that in where he kind of is going at the end, whether he can make a career out of Maybe. I mean, like, that, that, that could be a whole other conversation. I think if I'm using this film as text, if I'm only using this film as text, what it means to be masculine in 2018 is to not be defined by a loss. And I, 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 I wonder sometimes if that is where men go so very very wrong that they take a beat in whatever way it is professional personal romantic you name it right they take one beating and they can't get they can't deal and they can't get past it and that beating just serves as the bedrock of everything, every other shitty thing that ever happens to them. And because they can't articulate it and they can't cope with it, that that is what turns them into... Or pride gets the better of us. Yeah, yeah. You know, that, that's what turns them gruff. That's what closes them off. That's what leads to, I'm fine. You know, like that kind of thing. And I think if I'm using this film as a text is you will take a beating in life. On a long enough timeline, you're going to lose and you're going to lose hard. You don't have to like it. You don't have to let it define who you are. You do have to deal with it. And I think this film is watching one cowboy deal with his loss and serve as the lesson for what we should be doing. Yeah, it's the, it's the you know, you got to work with the hand that you've been dealt. And I, I think that specific phrase was even, if not mentioned in the film, something along those lines by uh, the father, the friend, one of his friends, saying, you know, these are the cards you've been dealt. How are you going to play them? Yeah. Yeah, and that's but but not you know not saying I'm going to play them by being pissed off about them for the rest of my life. Well, certainly that was an option for him. Yeah, and or denying the, them and doing something stupid. Yep. Yeah. Um, or are you going to roll with it and try and do the best you can? Try, for yourself, like you said, family, be better. Be you know be there. Like be something for another person and and easy to say. Uh, like you said, we've all had ups and downs, either you know very traumatic or minimal, and. You know, how we address those really does define us. Does it define, you know, for me, my masculinity? I think it defines me as a person. Um, I, I've always but you as a trouble. person are a man. Like, not to hey, point out the obvious, Robert, but, Thank you. Know. Thank you. <laughs> um, but I, I have a problem with defining masculinity because of, you know, just looking at people as, as a species, it's just... A wide scope and to bring it down to femininity and masculinity I think is kind of a ridiculous exercise yes if you look back historically there has been the feminine this and the masculine this I, I think as we are slowly evolving we're realizing that, well there are aspects of that that we can't deny but it doesn't mean that you can't still live your life in a very specific way. Yeah, I mean, of course, the irony of all of this is we're having this conversation as the lead to this movie and it is a movie uh, a, like a very, a rather macho movie, even though it's got a lot of um, feeling and heart to it. It's not like I'd call it like a guy's movie. Um, actually, I think guys would probably be pretty bored. So, so there, there are fewer women in this movie than there were in Everybody Wants Some. This is does, true. does not pass the Bechdel test. Despite which, by the way, is being, okay. Despite but, being written and directed by Chloe Zhao. Yeah. And yeah. that, to me, is interesting in this movie in that it's... By the way, that's not meant as a negative this movie. No, 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 not at all. Like, Chloe Zhao... Chloe, like, this movie, when I first came across it, um, 
really made me curious about, um, I think there's one other film that Chloe Zhao has done. I, I believe she did one called um, Songs My Brother Taught Me. And now any other film that she does going forward, I am definitely going to look forward to because this woman, oh, absolutely. holy cow, is she talented. Songs My Brother Taught Me, yeah. Which, yeah, um, let's let's get right into the movie. Yeah. Uh, so I, obviously, I, I get the feeling that we both really dug this movie. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Um, Do tell. Uh, from a story perspective, um, you you said before that none of these people are actors. Well, damn it, now they are. Yeah. Or, or specifically Brady. Uh, this kid, if he wants to be an actor, I think he's got looks, poise, um, the, the chops, whatever. Um, also, he's a hell of a horse trainer. Because that's what he actually does. Exactly. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> those scenes with him and the horses specifically, I think there's like three or four scenes where he's training a horse and just riding the horses, are wonderful. And, and you're thinking, how are they doing this? And you realize, no, he's actually doing it. And it's beautiful that she actually caught that on film uh, and gave you an eye into this world. And that's another thing about this movie is that its sense of place you understand it very, very kind of quickly, both from the perspective of these are not rich people. Nope. You know, the drinking glass he's got is a jar. Yeah, uh, he's got a junior high school jacket on. The shower comes out like a faucet tap. Like there's little things like that. Really, he's like, cooking on a hot plate. Exactly. You you kind of know already, and then immediately into the countryside, somewhere in the Dakotas, I believe. Yeah. Um, stunningly gorgeous, uh, but also somewhat. Depressing is probably not a fair word to use, but uh, there's a lot of desolation there too. It's threadbare. It's yeah. it's an it's an area of America that's gorgeous, but where you can tell there's not a lot going on. Your options are few and far between. Yeah, um, and you know there's a lot of drinking, there's a lot of weed, there's gambling, and there's things that people are using to either dull the pain or desperate outlets for like how can I somehow get out of here? Yeah, in some way. Yeah. Um, all in a very tidy little 100-minute package um, that's not about a whole heck of a lot. Like, I, I could probably summarize this plot in a napkin, but at the same time, there is so much feeling in this movie, mostly resting on the shoulders of, of Brady Jandro. Uh, you know, in, in, in a world, like, it's, it's, this is certainly not our world, it's not a lot of people's world, but you see... So very much. There's a, like he, he's he's not exactly verbose. Um, he puts a lot on his face and a lot in his posture, and just in the way he goes about his job and his day, you learn so much about this man and this community. I, I love the fact that the movie never it never fell onto standard tropes. It never really did the you know kind of late second act turn kind of thing. Um, and I really appreciate it with that because I, I kept waiting for that moment where Did things you wait for turn. like the yelling match in the trailer where somebody smashes a glass. Uh, absolutely. Something you don't know me, lines. Dad. You can't control me. Or him at his, you know, kind of bland job at the Dakota Mart of, you know, throwing down his shirt or apron or, you know, st storming out of there. And that never happened because you really got a sense of... Not that this was a documentary, but these are some real characters, real people, and I'm really engaged and interested in what they're doing. And this is what people are experiencing. Like, mm -hmm. it, it really kind of came across that way. Yeah. And I appreciate the fact that they didn't need to add further drama. Uh, and that's okay when other movies do that to a certain extent, right? But in this case, they didn't need to, and they were smart enough to just 
this is the story, this is the main guy we're focusing on, and he's really interesting, and don't you empathize with him. You know what's funny about a lot of that, and what we were talking about with like the way this film looks, is this is a film, it's not going to get a lot of play. Like, I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're not giving up Avengers screenings for the writer. Um, so it's not going to be in a whole lot of theaters, in a whole lot, like, I mean, I, I'd be surprised if there's a movie theater in South Dakota playing this movie. It should be it should several, be. but yeah. yeah. And this is a movie that's destined for home watching, which is really a shame because seeing it bigger, and we didn't see it that much bigger, we actually saw it in a rather small house, you just drown in it. Like, you, those countrysides look so vast. You feel so small. Absolutely. And a lot of times you're fixated, like, really close on Brady's face. And it's a movie that's that very, very big in so many ways, even though it's very quiet and very patient, it's a movie that I really believe would benefit from a dark room and a big screen. Oh, there's some stunning cinematography in there. I mean, just the, the landscape itself is almost that additional character, right? Yeah. I mean, when you see the silhouettes, you know, from far away with the setting sun, there's that, a few early morning scenes. Like some coming the horses, storms. The coming storms. You know, oh, uh, yeah, fa fantastic stuff from that point of view. It's funny too because you said it's big from that point of view but it's also as we've already talked about a very small movie very compact not that many characters you don't really get a broad view of the town or the township no. that they're in no um if so it doesn't, really if it doesn't happen in brady's if it doesn't happen in brady's orbit it doesn't happen this small story in this wide expansive open space yeah and in many ways you you, you kind of you, you could say he's got so many opportunities but where is he going to go He's kind of lost in this massive space. Um, and so are the other characters as well. What do we think about the central conflict in this movie? Because, I mean, it's not really what you'd call tense. You know, the, the central conflict of this movie is established early. It's Brady has hurt himself and he doesn't know if he's ever going to be able to. He doesn't know what he's going to do. And we kind of pull on that thread and pull on that thread as the movie goes along. And he does his little time working at the grocery store and he tries to okay I can't ride horses I can train horses and that goes how that goes um, it's not it's it, it's kind of funny because it is very much like a western in that it has a very gentle slope to to this crux this one quick little dramatic uh, apex and yeah. then a quick resolution yeah is that a deterrent for this kind of movie like is this movie? Does it need more? Uh, no. Okay. Um, I'm just trying to think of a better answer than that. I, I think that's small. <laughs> no. Uh, not for this movie and not for, I think, any story of this size. I don't think you need you're, that. You're, 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 like, this is more of a character study of this one person. Absolutely. And, you and, wanted, and, you were... and also um, investing yourself in a lifestyle that, at least for you and I, yeah. we know very little about. Um, we can imagine it. We're probably completely wrong. It's kind of like, oh, this is a very interesting view on this, which is a great thing about film is that we learn so much about whether it's you know cultures from Japan or elsewhere or within your same neck of the woods. Yeah, there's people in Canada that very much would live a very similar lifestyle to this. And oh, relate sure. To this, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we don't. So having another a view into this is for me anyway was was kind of fascinating it's and a, it's not that i thought the cowboys were like yeah bang 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 yeah like, pew, pew, pew. but 
um, this was, you know, an interesting take on it. It didn't need to be melodramatic. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, no. it, it, like I, what you're saying and what I agree with, um, I just wanted to pose the question, is that he has a lot going, he does have a lot going on. It's not like nothing happens in this movie. There's a lot happening. Um, he's trying to, he's basically, he's trying to find his purpose. Like you said, um, what happens when a rider can't ride anymore? And into that, he's got his father who's not, helping he's got his sister who is probably a bit of a spirit guide in the way he she gives gives him purpose uh in, in the way that like he's a guardian for her and he's protective of her there's actually you know speaking of what kind of man you want to be there's a great scene where she happens to be in the bar and guys who are supposed to be his buddies like kind of mess with his sister mm. and he just like jumps right into it it's like you would think that these guys are all cut from the same kind of cloth that if Brady was this way, that all these guys were this way. But meanwhile, he's like, no, 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 there's a line here, and you just crossed it. But you can also read that particular scene, too, is him struggling with what is it to be a man, and him thinking, I know what it is, I have to go protect my sister. Even though, as you know, some of the other friends said, dude, what, what are you doing? He no, they were crossing anything. a line. No! But, no. No, I not he wasn't doing anything. They, no, you can see was, a line. You know, he there was, was enough in that scene, I think, where that's... That wasn't left, an overreaction. That, that's left that wasn't, to you to decide. No, Be, no I, okay, I am deciding that was because of the other friends' reactions. Like, what, what are you doing? No, because they all they all do care and look out for this girl because they know it's her sister. This guy and, stopped looking in that moment. I would be like Brady in this moment. I would have been like going over him. The way I read that scene the stool, was him struggling to figure out how that's can I somehow... your messed up version of masculinity, Bob. <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> how can I regain my masculinity? I know I need to go protect my sister from that guy who's talking to her at the bar and go punch his lights out because that's what a man does. Now, yes, he should protect his sister when she's in trouble if he can. I did not see that she was necessarily that the movie sets it up where where they pan over his point of view and like oh is that dude hitting on his 15 year old sister yeah which he is maybe he is maybe. no not maybe For that's pretty darn clear brian he was <laughs> but the reaction was extreme maybe not extreme but over what it really needed to be in the moment well, that's in an open bar did you really need to go up and try and punch the guy when you just need to go like dude get away from my sister and they could leave very easy but he needed to really kind of express that masculinity i gotta go try and punch some guy out right because that's i guess what he was feeling at the time uh one would like to think towards the end of the movie he has realized that there are varied ways of achieving that <laughs> in his life one would hope one would hope uh I'm not, I'm not too sure about that you mentioned earlier um a scene it's something to behold in this movie. There is a there are several long scenes of Brady training a horse. Um, like he's basically trying to break the horse, and there's there's two or three of them. But the first time we see him do it is kind of the best one. Um, now it doesn't hurt that Brady Jandro himself is a trainer. So like you said, like he's an actor now, but at the time he's just going with his own skill. Yeah, yeah. And we watch it unfold, and you watch this. You watch how much patience this guy has. And that's another, you know, one of these things that I think men could use a long lesson in, and, you know, talking about a guy who's going to jump off his bar stool and go pick a fight is patience. So in that moment, going back a second, if he had had a little bit more patience and said, dude, what are you doing? It might have gone a little bit better. But meanwhile, you put him in the pen with a horse 
and he has infinite patience, small moves, not looking to like hurt the animal or force the issue, and you just see small steps and small steps, and, small, and it's like it's this beautiful metaphor for the whole story for what he needs to do. He's focused on uh, on the task at hand. He knows he has to try and accomplish something, and yeah, and he's he's absolutely focused in at the moment. the The way he did it too is just. Um, allowing the horse to smell his hand, very, very slowly moving up to him and not making any kind of, you know, sudden moves, taking his time to get that done was, yeah, it was amazing. Um, I, the one thing I don't know, uh, well, there are many things I don't know, <laughs> even when it comes down to, you know, training horses and, and the whole lifestyle is, I would think it would take much longer to train a horse or at least get a horse willing to allow you to ride it then and in this movie it seems like at least two or three of these scenes it seems to happen within not only just a span of a day a couple of hours where he's able to get the horse allowed to get on and if not just sit on him even ride it and, and i don't know if they did that you know for the movie yeah. or if he is that good that he could go to a these are probably not you know cold horses where hey yeah. here's this new horse you've never met before but uh so i i that's one thing I'm kind of curious about, and the movie gives enough of this environment that I'm actually very curious about. How long would it take you to really train a horse you've never met before, who is very wild, to just even allowing you to ride it? To allow you anywhere near it. Like, the, 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 the owner of the horse says, this horse has never been ridden, never been touched, right? Like, he just, he doesn't let people anywhere near him. And, you, I mean, you still do see that in the way that Brady approaches this it kind of gives you hope that he'll approach life in the same manner that he's not looking to walk right up to it and put his hand on his side right away he's saying okay i know i need to respect your space and i need to get this close and then this close and let you see me and smell me and i need to understand you and you need to understand me and it's again this really lovely metaphor it may listen it may take a month for him to actually complete this process from what we saw to the end um, or, like you said, he might be that good. He might be that but good. I did like seeing the steps and the progression. The scene is still patient. Like, we're making it sound like oh, it's, uh, it's, it's a quick absolutely. little scene. Yeah, yeah. It's still yeah. a really patient scene. And again, and even though it nothing, cuts from, nothing negative about that. No. I, I'm just more curious. Yeah, even though it cuts yeah. from step to step to step, and it's, you still get the impression that time is passing in between these steps and that he is giving every one of them the room to breathe. You know, and it's interesting how you then can relate some of those scenes to not that he is, you know, training his paraplegic friend, but the patience he has with him. And there's a couple of scenes with him, you know, sort of where they sit him on a saddle and have him sort of pretend to, you know, to steer a horse. You can see how very patient he is with him, and how he also understands this is a long, long game to, if not restore him to the way he was, get him to, you know. A better state, one well, where he can him. exactly, and that like it's it's funny because whether like, he can be a therapist in the future or like that, he has those tools. It yeah. seems he's got that patience and the ability to understand where to kind of slowly move things. It's in it's kind of funny because it's in that gentle, protective nature that when the, the way he is with Lane and the way he is with um, Lily that I think he is actually at his best as a man. You know, like you you see. You see there's a lot of people who can't go visit his friend. You see there's a lot of people who, including her father, who treats Lily like the village idiot. 
And meanwhile, there's Brady, who's wired not to speak down to them, not to, you know, overburden them or anything like that. It's just the way his DNA is made up. We hear, uh, we hear one of the social workers say, you look like your mom. And he's clearly not like his dad. So you gotta wonder if there's a lot more of his mother in him and that mixed with his genetics has turned him into the man that he is. It's interesting though, even, even his dad, I thought earlier on that the father character was gonna be somewhat stock in nature. It's a little bit more complex. Um, he too he has, has obviously made some sacrifices. Um, he is also somewhat desperate. You know, he has a bit of a gambling addiction going he's on. Also, he's also really trying to numb a lot of pain. Absolutely. But he's also trying to figure out how to properly uh, enable these two kids to exist at some point without him. Um, you know, that's, I can't imagine myself in that role. So that's a very difficult place to be. I had a, a massive amount of empathy for him towards the end, even though he's a severely flawed person. Absolutely. Um, he's, but he's he wasn't he's, the, very, he's very broken. He wasn't the stock kind of abusive father who doesn't care about care about his kids. No, um, but in was, a way, I was he's, happy to it's see. kind of funny. Like in a way, he's worse. Like he's passively abusive. At least you know. At least, at least if your dad is an asshole, you know he's an asshole. This is a guy who well, he, sort of seems involved. He, had, but he's he not. had some of those scenes, but then he had other scenes where it's like that's what a responsible parent would do. Right. That's what somebody who is not sure what to do, who is trying to do something, maybe not in a good fashion, but he's trying. And then other scenes where you're like, oh, dude, yeah. <laughs> what are you thinking? Yeah. So he's flawed. Yeah, um, very. And I, I appreciate that about uh, the character. When I think about this movie and I come back down to one word to describe it and to try to coax people into seeing this movie that is quiet and, and, and patient, um, the, 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 the word I keep coming back to is is grace to have the grace to move past your beats to have the grace to be a good friend and a good family member to you know have the just shit to have the grace to give yourself up and say i don't know what i'm doing you know even even if it, like it could mean all kinds of things this is a movie that just seems to be full of grace at every single turn which the, you would not expect for this kind of story. Also the grace to realize when you need to stop being somebody who can do something and, and turn into being somebody who, who will be teaching others and to realize mm. that you will never be able to achieve the heights that these people are capable of achieving. It's funny because you will now be the teacher. That's possible. I mean like when I think about this movie, you know it's, it's a movie that really wants to hang its hat, pardon the pun, on Brady not being able to be a rodeo rider anymore, and he really struggles with that. He, you know, he's got he's got fans. He's got people who approach him on the street and approach him in the store and want pictures with him. And he's got to be like, oh yeah, I'm just making some ends meet while I while I heal up. And you can see that's actually really kind of affecting him that he knows he can't ride competitively anymore. That that is sad, objectively. That's sad. Mm -hmm. But what hurt me more was when he finds out, no, you really need to stay away from horses altogether. I don't think you should be training them either. And you're like, that seemed like just the next natural course to this man's life. This that seemed like, that, that, that was kind of painful, yeah. That might have been the way out. Because you thought for a while, I think, in the movie, it's like, okay, you can't go on the road anymore, but, well, at least you can train horses. And, boy, jeez, you're really good at yeah. it. Maybe that's your, oh, you can't, can't do, do that. that either. But he's, so. it even and even that, like, he's, 
He's got to let that run its course. He, uh, you know, he makes some bad decisions after that. He does allow himself a moment to feel that kind of thing. Like there's, there's an amazing scene where he's driving away from, uh, from a, a hangout with Lane, and he, it all just kind of overwhelms him, and you could see him let the emotion in, which. And I like that scene too because it wasn't overly broad. No, he's, and it's a scene we've seen in a number of movies yeah. where somebody's driving, and you can tell they're tearing up, and he pulls off to the side of the road, and he does, you know, cry and lets it out, but not in that big, you know, weeping kind of way. It just yeah. felt much more real. And yeah. for him, uh, even to let that much out, yeah, uh, was quite a bit. I mean, you know, the, that's the. The success of this film and, and of what the story, the story that Chloe Zhao is trying to tell is that it seems truly genuine in terms of all the people, and it, and it certainly helps that they're all real people. And also it seems really optimistic into who we could be. You know, like this is this is a guy who I want to meet. This guy, this guy's, I think he's my new hero, really and truly, in terms of how he deals with everything and how much he lets in and how much he doesn't let his scars literally and figuratively define who he is, this is a guy to be followed. This is a guy to be listened to and, and spent time with. And I'm, I'm just thankful as hell that I got to spend twice now 100 minutes in this man's life. Uh, I would absolutely watch this movie again. And, you know, we could each have spent 200 minutes with yeah. him. Um, it, it also, and uh, I'll have to beg your forgiveness on this one, The part of the theme of the movie does remind me of uh, the classic Rush song, Losing It. Uh, and I have to bring Rush in wherever I can. Huh. About, uh, you know, what's the greater tragedy of never having known something or having once known it and then lost it? And sorry for the pain I'm, I'm bringing you right now, but that is a really interesting spin on this too, is that that is for him anyway, and for many people, very painful to realize and have to admit that I can no longer do this. I can't follow my dreams anymore. I have to find another path in my life. Mm -hmm. I never thought I would need to do that. How do I do that? Where yeah. do I start? Yeah. And, you know, he's just starting towards the end of the movie, and yeah. that's... Like, I opened this review by saying, if this is the text, there is no text for that. There is no text for you can't do what you thought you were going to do anymore, now what do you do? Like, that's just that's just not written, right? Like with this podcast, you just got to wing it. <laughs> just got to wing it, man. Thanks for that. Um, so you want to that back? Nicely that done. Nice. We end every matinee cast uh, review with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible, that uh, if you could take away from this film and keep, you would. Uh, Bob Turnbull, what is your souvenir from the rider? Uh, for the most part, we already talked about it. Certainly the, the scenes with them training the horses. But the, the souvenir really is something I need to act on. I need to recommend this movie to my sister. Hmm. She loves, loves horses. She has okay. her own horse in, in a stable in, in Quebec where she lives. Um, she would love those scenes with the horses. Um, I'm not sure she would love the whole movie because we have different tastes, but she would absolutely love those scenes. So that that's my souvenir. That's my takeaways. I, I need to get her to watch this. Okay, a, a different different kind of answer. I like that one. Um, my souvenir from this movie is, uh, I, I the 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 rodeo riders. They all tend to wear a specific type of shirt. Ah, yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. Like, it, like they're all different patterns and different colors, but they all seem to be cut a similar style, and yeah, it's not yeah. a style. I, I kind of want a rodeo shirt now. The, the blue one Brady was rocking. It's great, that's right? That's I think I'm going to bring out my eyes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not the yellow one, though. Uh, don't. I can, no, I can pull yellow. off yellow. I need to get a little trimmer for yellow, but I can... I can. I, I don't think you can, right? 
bastard. But yeah, no. Uh, You're a real man, Bob. That's an awesome. Real man bad. wouldn't do that. Um, on a scale of one to four, we rate here on the matinee cast. You Bob, rate Bob Turnbull. You're gonna. What do you give the writer on a scale of one to four? I, I I can't pick any faults with this movie for what it was going for, for what it is, for anything it instilled in me, uh, any thoughts it brought to mind. I'll, I'll give it a four. Yeah, this. I mean, this movie is. Exactly really special um i was you know full disclosure i was gonna wing it i was gonna try to have this discussion and extract memories that are now six months old uh from tiff 2017 and i'm so happy that i did not do that and that i gave it another go and let it wash over me again um the world has changed in the last six months, you know, and I have changed in the last six months. And this movie, the reason why I asked the question I asked off the top is because this movie is touching on a lot of things that are very, very prevalent in my mind. And it says them very eloquently. And I wish there were more movies like this that say these kinds of things eloquently. So for that, I got to give this movie a four. Hey, maybe you think we're both crazy. Maybe you think that this is a terrible movie and that we're both just shining a turd um or maybe you don't think we are being kind enough to this movie that it is absolutely flawless and we should have put a fifth star on it let me know what you think yay or nay ryan at the matinee.ca twitter where i'm matinee underscore ca or facebook.com slash dark matinee what do you think of chloe zhao's the rider we are going to be right back after this when we flip the record over and play the other side come on back You too can become a better man, Ryan. Shut up, Bob. We're back. <laughs> it's Bob Turnbull. You said you were striving for something. <laughs> I'm Ryan McNeil. It's after it's matinee cast 198. We were talking about the rider. Um, we we're gonna go down the rabbit hole and uh, give you some other watching. Uh, you have been feverishly tap tap tapping on the glass there, Bob. <laughs> Since we were winging it, racking your my, brain. My battery is dead on my phone. Oh, um, and. Um, what are some companion films uh, for Chloe Zhao's new movie? Um, the, the three that I sort of came up with are probably not overly good, but these are the give, three give we've me, got. Give me one for sure. Ah, okay. Um, the first one I thought of actually was uh, early on in the movie was uh, Winter's Bone. Uh, Ooh, pri- good call. Okay. Primarily because of that sense of place that, and for me, a place that I, I'm just not familiar with. Um, having been very fortunate in my life, um, that I, I don't understand that kind of poverty, that different way of life, the responsibilities that these two young people have, the Jennifer Lawrence character and uh, Brady's character in this movie, um, that's its own kind of crushing weight and the fact that your dreams sometimes get away from you. Uh, very different stories, of course, mm-hmm. but that certainly uh, was something that kind of jumped out early on in the movie as I was kind of looking for those points as opposed to just, you know, let me think of a good Western. That one just sort of leapt to mind very early on. Setting is a funny thing when it comes to movies. Like, there's a lot of movies that are set in New York or set in Los Angeles that could just be set in a city. And then there are other films that are specifically set in Philadelphia or New York or Los Angeles or Chicago, you know, that, that, that really tell 
a story specific to their community. And then you get, you know, there's all kinds of generic out in the country stories. Yeah, yeah. These two movies, that one especially, and, and, and The Rider, they really seem to take special care to put you into these regions. You know, not just this town and this farm, but this region of the country where these are your options. Your option in the Witcher's Bone, your options are cook meth, uh, join the military, or get the heck out. You know, um, and it's that's a movie I feel like a lot of people forgot about it, even though I mean it was nominated for Best Picture uh, for crying out loud. What was it actually? Winter's Bone. Right? Yes, okay. it was. Yep, yep. And it's only seventy seventy years old. Yeah, 2010. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, like everybody now, Jennifer Lawrence, it's, it's weird to think that was a movie where Jennifer Lawrence was a relative unknown. You know, like she got nominated for for Best Actress out of that movie and she got so. The Hunger Games out of that movie. But at the time, she'd done like just two or three other small little things. Like I think she's in The Beaver and I think she's in, there's a there's a, like a uh, horror movie, like something with a house. Um, I think that came after. Glass House? Oh, Something like that. Anyway, there's a, there's a thriller in a house where she's the daughter, um, but that was her breakout role. So it's kind of it's kind of crazy to think that an eight year old movie that's that's that good is one that's kind of getting now forgotten about again. Oh, it, sh it shouldn't be. Yeah, it's, it's a fabulous piece, uh, and not just because of Jennifer Lawrence. The entire movie is great. Um, well, I mean, what got me about that movie the first time? I mean, Jennifer Lawrence is is great in it, but is like you said, the sense of place, that world, that very quietly dangerous world like if you drove past the farm of you know like where these like big meth cookers are um that some of the people like the, the the door that she has to go knock on to get her father you probably wouldn't think twice you'd be like oh there's a farm there's a bar people uh, off we go in truth there are some really dangerous people there are grim moments in yeah movie. yeah it's it's an amazing movie um and it would like i mean it's it's kind of funny because like that is kind of the the darkness to the light of the rider, you know. So oh, nicely done. Um, my first one for the um, for another side for the rider is at the risk of sounding like at the risk of blasphemy. Do it. The rider is Malikian, so I think that this would make a great pairing with Days of Heaven. Uh, I'm on board with that. You know, like narratively, the two stories have very, very little in common, except perhaps for, you know, Sam Shepard and Richard Gere trying to figure out which one of them is the bigger man. Um, but Days of Heaven, all shot in Alberta, all shot at Golden Hour, making an area of the country that you would normally look at twice seem god damn glorious it is one of the most beautiful movies i've ever seen yeah and again at the risk of blasphemy there are some shots in this movie and some sequences in this movie that seem like they're very much culled from the uh the the gospel according to terence i'm sure there's probably some influence there at least from a cinematography standpoint and just a languid pacing standpoint there's a lot of other mm. things that are vastly different between these two movies oh god yeah uh, but from that point of view yeah absolutely yeah. i mean just like you know with this with this matchup like i mean yeah story-wise there i mean the other thing about story-wise with days of heaven is that it, it's like the rider it's not in a hurry it's it's not a long movie it's a 90 minute movie but it lets every little 
interaction take its time and it's a pretty simple story you could tell that one on a napkin as well yep. but it, it's not in any kind of rush to to get through it and to to be overly dramatic and and whatnot it's it's really it's kind of like the kind of like the long days out in the country it's just not in any hurry to get anywhere so although i expect the filming at move the filming of days of heaven was kind of like okay we got about 42 minutes every single day to get all our footage in yeah. the golden hour yeah they, they let's go yeah they rushed that that uh, patience quite a, quite a great deal so you know that's a nice little contradiction for all i know the writer did that too you know for all i know all of those shots had a window of about 5 minutes where they could do them the, there was a few i think some of those morning shots where he was with the horses uh, the, the storm coming was, in, uh, just stunning. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. What's another one that you got? Um, the only one I can think of off the top of my head. You had three. What I did, I do. Um, so oh, oh, the first, so one, the only okay. one I, 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 I can okay. think of on this specific theme got it. of moving, of of uh, being really good at something and losing it and figuring out where do I go now was Bull Durham. Again, ah, very, very different, you. very different movie. But you're Kevin trying, Costner's, you're, you're, you're trying to, you're trying to suck up the teacher here. This is pretty good. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. I, I forgot that was what I was Where he slowly realizes, for different reasons, obviously, in the writer, that he doesn't have the skills he once um, had, or at least he's not seen as having them. He's not, you know, the, the worth of his skills aren't uh, isn't appreciated as much. Uh, and then he has to kind of figure it out. And he does come to the, hey, maybe I could coach. You know, get to the, well, you know what, maybe I could be Spoilers a teacher. Spoilers for Bull Durham, by the way. Spoilers, yeah. Spoilers all over the place. So that he, he actually um, realizes that, you know what, being able to teach somebody to do this kind of thing is actually also a good uh, career path. Something that I can do and, and be proud of. I think uh, the thing that marries those two movies nicely is that in both the case of Crash Davis and of uh, Brady Blackburn is they arrive at that role begrudgingly. You know, like Crash really does not want to be, in his words, a stable pony. Um, you know, like to tell something nice use a uh, horse metaphor. Well, he's been, he's been to the show, man. He's been to the show. He was in the show for 21 days once. Um, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where sometimes you find yourself in this particular role and you don't like it, but you're good at it, you know, and I'm sure Brady would rather be riding than, than breaking horses. I'm, just, I'm certainly sure he'd rather be riding than rearranging ladies deodorant in a, in a glorified Kmart. Um, but you... You know, you realize, hey, I can do this, and I can do this, and I've still got. And there are other, and they realize the other aspects of their life, right? Where with Brady, there's you know, family, friends, and how can I help them? With Crash, of course, there's this relationship that he's found, and you know what? Maybe being a coach in Vidalia is it is Vidalia, right? Or am I thinking of the Onions? Anyway, maybe being a coach in this small city in the Carolina League, you know, that's that's not perfect, but it's not bad because I've also got this. Yeah, and that's just a different direction of my life. Yeah, I, I mean, it like you know, I'm, I'm trying not to speak too long on Bull Durham because first of all, we have an episode on Bull Durham where I speak at length on it, and I and I do enjoy that. There, uh, I don't know if you noticed or not, they're releasing a Criterion version. I did know that. I, yes. I, I'm like, I could I, not be more excited. I, I might have to upgrade. I, I I'm, I'm definitely gonna upgrade. Um, I love that movie so much. It's it that's a movie that's that's a writing clinic that movie every like everything about it from story to dialogue 
in that movie is so damn sharp. Um, I love so nicely done. Um, I'm not gonna quibble on that one. Yeah, no, not not quite the same region of the country, but again, um, small town America. Um, you don't quite get the sense of place in that movie. Uh, you don't really learn a whole lot about Durham, um, except just kind of like that it's quiet and sleepy, basically, and that it's a tobacco haven. Um, one of mine, speaking of, I was I think I was really fixated with place, and in this case it was also just kind of subtle uh, narrative. Um, going back to, I want to say it was last year, maybe the year before, um, Kelly Reichardt's movie, Certain Women. Oh, it's fantastic. Did you see that movie? Yeah, okay, so so yeah. this is a movie that tells three small stories that kind of run concurrently. Um, it's a really good choice. Yeah, one about a teacher, like, like one about like a, she's a paralegal who does uh, kind of night classes on the side. One about just a, a wife and mother who's looking to buy some property and one about a lawyer who's representing a case um and and these women are respectively Kristen stewart michelle williams and laura dern so if you needed any more reason to watch this movie there's three right there um and, and the extended cast too is oh yeah yeah there's all fantastic. kinds of yeah there's all kinds of other people in it and again it was something where real life can sometimes be very complex stuff, you know, and you can find great drama in somebody just driving 40 minutes to take a night class that they're not supposed to be taking because they really like the teacher or that kind of thing. It's, again, a part of the country I don't live in, I've never lived in, and I'm interested in life there. I'm interested in life kind of like the writer where you are living in the shadow of the earth. Like, you know, nature just goes on and on for miles around you and makes you feel minuscule. It makes you feel so tiny and so small and so insignificant. And how does that weigh on you? You know, so these people yeah. have to find a better balance than we might when we're just surrounded by life and concrete. I think Certain Women also touched uh, probably more strongly on the theme of loneliness as well. Oh, sure. Um, and, and certainly, you know, that comes into the writer a bit, I guess, but far more, I think, in Certain Women. And I, I remember in Certain Women, too, there was a, a lot of scenes where you would either see or hear a train. Yeah. Again, indicating the, there are paths out, Yeah. but not for you. Because yeah. that train's already leaving and, and gone. Um, so it's not a happy movie from that point of view, but it's a fantastic film. It's, it's yeah, nice. and again, it's, it's another one of these ones where it's a low boil. Not a lot happens, uh, but it, but it's still really, really beautiful and really well done. And and it's a movie again. I wish more people would see. I wish people would see that movie big because oh, all yeah, of those vistas yeah. of Montana are like huge. You know, like you just you're in the specter of this mountain. It's a town that's maybe like four city blocks big, but it's just. You know, it's just quivering in the shadow of this mountain. So yeah, and, and all three of these stories are tangentially related. Yeah, like they don't all come together in one. No, final it's, it's scene, not. It's not magnolia, but they sort of but they're bounce all, off each other. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They do indeed. All right, you got one more for us. What is it? I do. Uh, I thought I'd throw in a western, um, and it's really the most recent western I've seen. Uh, I was going through a, looking at, on YouTube for movies from the seventies, and I found Rancho Deluxe. Starring uh, a very young Jeff Bridges and uh, Sam Water <laughs> and Sam Watterson. Okay, and they're they're two drifters essentially, and they uh, they're cattle rustlers. So the, 
the themes of the stories aren't exactly there, but there's some similarities in the desperation to like, how can I get out of this environment that seems to be made just for maybe one, two or three different types of people. And these guys are trying to find their way out via cattle rustling and, and stealing in. There's, you know, uh, uh, drinking and weed and other things in this movie because how else are you going to pass the hours of the day when you're not doing this one thing that hopefully will get you out. Right. Um, it's a little bit more comedic in nature as well. Um, sometimes good, sometimes not not as good. There, mm -hmm. it, there is a dated feel to it. Um, I did see not a great version on YouTube, although it was, I think, the proper aspect ratio. So I'd love to see this movie again on a big screen in a nice print, and I think it would probably shine a lot better than it did on my small little you know, laptop screen. See, it's funny because you bring that up as, as a Western, and, and you know, while this while the rider is littered with cowboys and littered with horses, I don't know that I consider that movie a Western. F fair point. I probably used no, Western. no, but I, I like the I, I yeah. do like the comparison. Yeah. And, it's and a comparison Ratchet and Deluxe like really there. isn't so much a Western oh, really? in the classical sense of it okay. either. Certainly not like the classic westerns, or or even in the you know old timey kind of thing. This is this was set, I think, at the time. The, I think in the seventies, mm -hmm. um, so it was modern day, so to speak, or within a decade mm -hmm. or so. Okay, um, well there we go. Yeah. That is some good movies to pair along with the rider, and uh, you know, as, as as much as I think I can flog a dead horse, pardon the pun. We really want you to see this movie. So uh, once you're done with your superheroes, please try to track this movie down. Uh, but for now, that is episode 198 of the Matinee Cast. I would like to thank Bob Turnbull for coming by. Come on back Monday, May 21st. I know that's a little bit of a ways off, but I'm sort of trying to stagger things um, in the run-up to episode 200. Um, I may have some other little snapshot material for you um, in between then and now. I'm um, not sure what we're going to be discussing, uh, so I'm open to suggestions, but um, May 21st. Um, it's a holiday here in Canada. That's when you'll get uh, your next episode. Bob uh, is not writing quite as much as he used to, and that's a real shame, but if people do want to follow you on Twitter, where you're also not that active, uh, <laughs> where can they find you? Uh, at The Logical Mind. Very nice. My site is thematinee.ca. Speaking of not that much content these days, I am trying to fix that. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, Apple's Podcast app, Pocket Cast, Google Play, Your Welcome Palo, and the iTunes Store. Everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop. No Spotify? Get it on Spotify, man. I'll get it on Spotify, man. Soon enough. Maybe you can do that for Palo. You can do that for you. All right. Um... Feedback on The Rider or any of the films that we talked about today, or why Bob is wrong. Got it in. Can be emailed ryan at thematinee.ca, Twitter, where I'm matinee underscore ca, Facebook.com slash darkmatinee, or of course, leave a comment section in the site. Any final thoughts? No. Good. <laughs> I'm not wrong. You, you left me I must be wrong there. about something. Well, you always are. That That is a given, but we've already gone past the, you know, and mark. I'll show. take it. So. For Bob, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee.